this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we've been off uh, for, it doesn't seem like it because uh, the episodes roll out, you know, one after the other every week, but we've actually been off for a couple weeks. Uh, we we uh, planned around your uh, your summer vacation, which has turned out quite well for you. You are rested and relaxed coming back from your beach vacation. <laughs> rested and relaxed with a cold, yeah. Yeah. Sounds That's what good. happens when you get around people from Ohio. So now, Jay, when you were out, um, you know, out in the water, you know, splashing around, did you mm. go full Orlando Bloom and uh, let your, uh, your your dongle out? Uh, what I don't know what you mean. Uh, oh, were you not? A, uh, so this happened when you were on vacation. You know, Orlando Bloom is dating Katy Perry. Jay, I, I, uh, I keep didn't know what, No, I I meant. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know what you meant by a dongle. Uh, he he apparently likes to uh, splash around in the waters naked oh that's cute and uh katie perry looked looked kind of concerned by his uh his uh choice of lack of attire uh but uh from what the people were saying i i haven't witnessed this myself but orlando has um quite the bloom uh let's put it that way so i guess if you if you have something you're proud of you just you know you want to show it off Good for him. So it, it was just funny because I was listening to Stern and, and Howard was irate that he not only is a good looking guy, but he has <laughs> apparently an, a ginormous, yeah. uh, you know, member. And yeah. uh, sorry for anybody who's listening with their kids in their car. We didn't plan on just kind of ran into this topic. Uh, if, if you have your kids listening to this show, it's a strange form of torture. It is. A str- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is what they they're going to use for um, enhanced interrogate enhanced uh, interrogation techniques for. Uh, I don't I don't think there's anything less cool than for 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 kids than a podcast about obscure '90s music. There was an article today, Jay, that I read was about like there was an analysis done of who's buying vinyl records, and it was uh-huh. primarily middle aged single men with uh, a less normal amount of friends than the average person <laughs> and i was like that's our audience <laughs> those are our people <laughs> hey that's me and all my friends exactly yeah I, I i read that while i was at you know scouring through the seven inches at a half price books by myself mm. so yeah um I, w- I wish i could say i was surprised but yeah not uh not surprised at all jay let's move along to our uh requested review for this you mean week. let's Let's roll on. Yeah, let's roll on. Requested, requested review. We're reviewing a band that our good friend Gavin Reed, who has suggested many bands to us over the years, he decided to throw one at us recently, and we had a little uh, uh, opening in the schedule, so we slid it right into the schedule. And uh, here we are. We're going to be talking about The Living End. Now, Jay? Mm, yes? Is this a band you're familiar with? I want to say it is. Yeah, I love this band. And we're talking uh, about their debut self-titled record from 1998. Right. I didn't I didn't discover the band until Roll On, which is 2000, and then I've been a fan um 
of their latter day work uh the 2006 record i like a ton um and i like roll on quite a bit and i am enjoying the new record shift as well so that just came out in may yep yep so um yeah i'm a pretty big fan of this band now here in the states this is probably not a well-known band there's probably people who are you know into the music that they play and, and discovered them that way however in australia this is a big band. Just to give you the, the, the notes on this, they've won six ARIA awards, 98, 99, 2008, and 2011. Over those four years, they won six awards. Um, they had the most consecutive entries in the Triple J's Hottest 100. They made it into the chart every year between 1997 and 2006, which I guess would be like the Billboard you know, Hot 100 or something like that, the equivalent of the United States. Um, they've won nine Jack Awards, which is for Australian live music from 2004 to 2007. Um, they've won uh, Album of the Year, and they've been nominated for Album of the Year, Single of the Year, Best Group, and Best Rock Album. Um, and the Triple J audience picked the living end the debut album in 2011 as the number four uh hottest australian album of all time so that's a pretty good i mean you're talking you know of all time up there with acdc in terms of rock albums and you know the various other bands that we could mention but i don't have time to uh so gavin gave us some notes and we want to talk about that he said so my history with The Living End, I first saw a gig of theirs in the wall of a pub at the end of a freeway on my way home from work. I decided I had to hear them, was actually listening to um, Husker Du live album, which was called The Living End at the time. They put on an amazing show and I followed them as they rose with their four, he thinks, EPs. And then finally they hit with this album. So he was aware of them back in you know mid-90s. Um, not quite as raw as the EPs, but still great, and was a slightly different sound from everything else at the time. They supported Green Day on the Dookie tour, and on their next album, they did a song called Hitchin' a Ride, which was more than a coincidence, in my opinion. And we'll get to the similarities. Um, uh, a truly amazing live band. I look forward to your thoughts and to why you think they didn't break over there, which would be here in the States. Uh, now, also, we got some feedback from uh, Kim Bowie, also from Australia. He said the singles from their debut are instantly recognizable on Australian radio and felt like nothing we had heard before at the time in popular music here. The bassist rocks a double bass on stage, which gives the band an amazing look on stage. I also feel like Chris Chaney is one of Australia's greatest guitarists. A great album. So there we have... Uh, Gavin chiming in on his pick and Kim chiming in as well. We want to rhyme to everybody. Now, they chimed in over at Patreon. And if you want to uh, join the conversation with albums that are coming up or roundtables or interviews, you just join us. It's as little as a dollar a month. 250 gets you a review after 12 months. You get the previews. You get bonus content from episodes, that sort of thing. So we've talked about Jay... 
your history with the band. Let's actually talk mm-hmm. about just briefly the actual history of this band. History of the band. They're from Melbourne, Australia. They formed in 1994 or officially became the living end in 1994, but they go back to 1991 when uh, Chris Cheney and Scott Owen, Chris Cheney being the vocal guitarist, Scott Owen being the bassist vocalist, um, were actually like in grade school. It's called, I think, primary school in Australia, but I think we're talking about like grade school level. And they were basically playing um, Stray Cats and Clash covers. And uh, up until between 91 and 94... They were doing covers, and then in 94, they became The Living End and started writing their own songs. Between 94 and 98, they put out a number of EPs, uh, added a drummer, actually have been through a couple drummers, and at one point, they had a second guitar player for touring, and um, they've released just their seventh album, Shift, this year. The debut, The Living End, came out in 1998. As you mentioned, Roll On came out two years later in 2000. Modern Artillery came out in 2003. State of Emergency in 2006. White Noise in 2008. And in 2011, The End is Just Beginning Repeating. So, let's get into the record, Jay. Because I don't want to uh, blow out your vocal before uh, too too long. I want to mm. keep you fresh here. Thank you. So Jay, you're familiar with this record? Um, I, I'm not. No, I actually I'm not that familiar with this okay. record. I'm f- familiar with Prisoner Society and a couple of the songs were. I mean, I'm sure I've listened to it in the past, but it's not one of the three that I owned and listened to a ton. And like okay. I said, I I discovered the band after this record. So now I feel like this <clears throat> was introduced. This band was introduced maybe not at this in 1998. But the 2000 album was around the same time that like the helicopters were sort of getting a lot of attention in in you know I guess underground magazines and websites and whatnot and and the, the action rock of of Sweden is the prime of the hives and yeah the hives maybe even um, um, white stripes this might be the them really breaking through gotcha um, right I mean I think there was like a this is probably as big as Garage Rock got at this point, I think. Sure. Sure. So I'll just give you some thoughts. I'll give you what I liked about this record to start with, um, mm-hmm. which is I like that this is a quote-unquote punk band, but they do a lot of different interpretations of punk that do not always feature that bump to the bump to the bump, you know, the drum part that we kind of always... Yeah, get stuck on, you know. Mm-hmm. They do a a lot of variations. Um, there's a little bit of ska in in that two tone sort of UK seventy late seventies early eighties kind of punk mm-hmm. sound, um, which because they do it in a very like limited fashion, I found it like actually refreshing. Um, they didn't do it in a way that they I felt like they were grinding you know, multiple songs into the ground. I think they only do it a couple times and that was, that was good with me. Um, and then they do some stuff like on, um, Oh, what is it? I think it's track five bloody Mary, which is like the best song that the Arctic monkeys never wrote. Uh, Uh, you know what? It's a great guitar riff, super cool, uh, vocal to go along with it. Like the melody and it has a chorus that pays off. And that's really the, the, you know, 
the main thing if if you're going to do these songs they got to have choruses that are catchy and and you're going to stick in your head And they do it, and they do it over and over again, and they do it in ways that, you know, are, you know, you take a song like Bloody Mary, which is not a straight up punk song, but it has a punk attitude. But like I said, it has like this sort of, you know, a, a band like Arctic Monkeys might have heard that and built their career off of that song. And then you take a, a song like Strange, which has an almost like jazz feel to the guitar in parts of that mm-hmm. song. Um, sure. And then you, you butt them up against West End Riot and, and, some of the other tunes, which are completely Prisoner of Society, which you mentioned, Growing Up, Falling Down, which are much more traditional, like, punk songs. So I think just, you know, overall this band works for me, but especially, like, their ability to, like, just write good songs with the hooks that pay off, even though they change it up from song to song. What about you? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it is, there, there's elements here that I don't, I would normally like. You know, I'm not, uh, I don't, not a big ska fan uh i don't particularly love punk you know there's some bands that have punky elements that i totally dig but pure pop punk or just punk i'm not uh, that huge of a fan of but the way that they put it together and the way that they can shift in a very mm, believable way you know and i don't think they do anything on this record where you're like "Mm, i don't know guys this is a little far but i think it all feels very natural Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the fact that it's done uh, with a high level of musicianship on uh, across the board. I, I mean, I think the drummer's phenomenal. I think the bass player um, really on this album shines. Um, he plays a stand-up bass, and um, <clears throat> not only I'm sure visually is that you know a, a, a great uh, stage um, gimmick, but I think on th- at least on this record, I think on the later records you don't hear it quite as much, but I think on this record it is a big driver of the sound. Um, the guitar player is phenomenal. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no doubt about it. I mean, this guy can play anything. You know, he's he pulls off jazzy stuff. He pulls off, you know, kind of chunky metalish riffs. He can play incredible solos. He can be simple and and, and do you know Greendale Green Day style you know power uh, punk he can do just about anything. It's amazing. Um, you know, his, his tone's great. And then you top it off. Like you mentioned it, it, you know, it all comes down to, I think really for a band to to take it over the top is, is the, is the chorus and the vocal. Yeah. And that's there too. You know, I, I think I got hooked on this band, uh, with the song roll on, which is just this epic, you know, gang chorus sing along, 
you know, it sounds like an anthem, like a stadium anthem for a, you know, a, a, a football match or something. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, these guys can write, you know, killer choruses and melodies as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> I think this record is the most, um, I think it wears the Stray Cats influence on their, on their sleeves. Um, Certainly, pre- yeah. Pretty apparent. I think the, the Clash comes through a lot i think for the most part you know when, when you when we say punk i think that is the school of punk that they're mostly coming from um but you hear rockabilly in here you know obviously from the stray cat angle um it, I, I just i like too that you know a band that i've talked about in the past on here that um oh, overall um is probably my <clears throat> my favorite since I, as a kid would be van halen and one of the reasons why i like that band so much um, is that they are, it's a rhythm section and a rhythm concept, at least on the early records, it's based on swing and, but it's not, when you hear it, you don't go, Oh, that's a, you know, a swing song, but it's got a swing feel to it. And I think this band does the same thing at times. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it, there's moments where it, um, it'll shift to a rock song with a swing feel and I think it just gives it a really great, um, just distinct um, rhythm. And I think they can, <clears throat> the way they can take that and shift it on a dime to be very, um, go from feeling like swing to feeling driving. Um, again, you know, that's something that Van Halen does as, as good as anybody. And I think this band does it as well in terms of, you know, it, you can go from <clears throat> that really relaxed kind of swing feel and be on the backbeat to flipping it, and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're headbanging or you're, you know what I mean, very much like pushing the, pushing the momentum uh, of the song. So uh, I love that kind of dynamic as well. So yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> overall that's that's what I like about this this band, and I think on this record, um, that's the flavor of the band that you, that you hear as they they go on through their career they become a little bit more you hear less of the rockabilly stray cats kind of vibe you hear a little less of the punk rhythms things become um a bit more you know just straight hard rock ish right I mean, it's still the same band you can tell it's the same band um so if you like those elements this is this is the record that uh i think you get the most of that you know, and one of the uh, pleasures that we've had is that we've learned a, a lot about Australian music thanks to our Australian listeners like like Gavin and, and Kim who have made suggestions over the years. And and Gavin especially has uh, exposed us to some, some of the more punkier bands, um, whether either by talking about them or actually suggesting them to us. And the thing that I noticed is that a lot of those bands, in terms of being punk, and then you go back to like the Saints or, or Celibate Rifles or Lime Spiders or whatever bands that he's mentioned to us that we've either checked out or, or actually reviewed, um, they don't have that like that uh, that ska two tone element or that rockabilly element in the same way that this band does. It feels like this band is pulling from, you know a different sound completely than what those bands, you know, they were, like I said, this band essentially formed in 91 when they were in school and those bands were around in the eighties. So those were the bands, you know, the punk bands are around just as, you know, they were kind of 
becoming interested in music and they turn their attention to you know the stray cats and and you know what would later become brian setzer and stuff like that um or the specials or or you know some of those uk bands that were in, you know incorporating that ska rhythm um so i think that that's what's particularly interesting is in terms of uh influence they're just they're not drawing from what would be like the traditional australian kind of now i don't i don't know what the rockabilly scene is like in australia but i don't remember them coming up not really coming up before in terms of being an influence in in terms of punk um but did you find that interesting at all i mean i just don't australia doesn't seem to have had um that big or or had that many appreciators of that style of music and it seems like the u.s and the uk were the ones you know we think about like in the 90s there were a ton of ska bands in the u.s uh yeah. with less than jake and, and rancid had a scott two-tone influence and and um you know obviously no doubt started out with a lot of ska influence even though they became more of a mainstream band I don't. I guess I'm not going to be able to explain this, but when I when I first heard this band, and I think it pretty quickly heard, knew they were Australian, and it didn't strike me as odd. Um, okay. I, I don't know why, but it just seemed to make sense at the time. Um, I, I don't. I guess we would need to talk to somebody from Australia to fully understand it. My, my, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe, because um, I think like in the U.S. for the most part. I consider the Stray Cats kind of a, from a pop pop culture standpoint, more of a one hit or two hit wonder. Okay. Uh, with Brian Setzer having a bit more of a career, or at least them just kind of being, in the scheme of things, uh, more like one breakthrough and then more of a cult following. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that band or bands like that had a little bit more success in the '80s in Australia than they. Uh, potentially did here and if that has anything to do with you know sort of where this band is coming from i mean obviously they were influenced but just they they're able to um they're not just i think what makes them so compelling to me all the other bands that come to mind that um have a rockabilly or swing influence to me i always um find them too derivative or too genre specific and that it's it, it's not just a a flavor of their sound that they can shape shift in and out of and kind of use to kind of create something bigger. Um, it, it ends up kind of at least in my ears defining them. And and this is a band that they just use it as a as a basis mm-hmm. or a I don't know one of many paint colors they can work in. Um, and, and pivot out of it and, and at times even when they're sort of in it make it their own in ways I, I don't know that I've heard other bands do so uh, maybe other than The Clash you know in the same way that Clash uh, The Clash had used reggae you know to, to right. create a whole new sounds I, I think in this way in that way this band does a very similar kind of thing that just really works for me I don't think we're going to have a lot do you have anything that you would say is not working for you? Well, I mean, I think the record's too long. Uh, at least the version here on Apple Music is 14 tracks. I think while the songs are all pretty concise, they're yeah. you know under four minutes in the three minute range. Um, 
you know, I, I think this is a band that is better served, you know, in, in the 10 to 12 song range. Um, uh, I, even though, I, I, just because I think at least at this point in their um, development, some of those um, rhythms get a little tired by the end of the record. Um, some of the standard either punk rhythms or even uh, some of the ska, like off um, up, up strumming and that sort of stuff. Um, 14 songs of it. Yeah. You start to get a little fatigued on it. At least I did. Um, so I think it would be a lot punchier if, if the album was trimmed down. Um, I like the... I really like when they put in some tempo shifts, some songs that are, you know, not all fast. I think if they mixed it, remixed it um, down to no more than 12 songs and, and made sure they keep all of the sort of the slower tempos and take out maybe some of the more uh, the, just the straight up uh, punk tunes, um, I think it would make for, uh, you know, a really, really, really strong record. It's funny, I'm just going through all the records, and pretty much I think every single record is 14 songs. <laughs> like, yeah. I've gone through the first five, and, oh, no, when you get to um, White Noise, the one that came out in 2008, that's only 11 s- songs. Yeah. But it comes with a bonus CD of 11 demos of yeah. each of the songs. the new record's 11, too. So... Yeah, I would agree with you. You could probably trim two or three songs just based on the fact of the length, and then it would just be a killer, you know, 11 or 12 track album. But even within that, I mean, I think those would be solid B-sides to uh, to the to the record. So so are they the, basically the Australian Green Day? Is that what we're... That's what I wanted to get into because, you know, Gavin posed that question to us about our thoughts on why they didn't break over here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of it might be timing. I I wonder if Roll On had come out in like 1996, what would have happened if it would, you know, if it had worked well with Green Day and Rancid and The Offspring um, with, with those kinds of bands? Because, uh, you know, Offspring definitely sang, like, big, you know, gang choruses. Yeah. But I don't know if they were in the same style yeah. of gang chorus. Um, I think that with, you know, the the natural comparison, I guess, is with Green Day. And um, I, I can see what he's saying. You know, Hitchin' a Ride has some sort of, I don't know, it has some of the same feel as this band. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, that's a band that's always kind of evolved their sound anyway. I mean, if you look at, you know, Dookie compared to American Idiot, those are wildly different records. So I'm not surprised that they... Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. I, 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 I don't even know that I would say that this band has evolved that much. At least my in my memory of the, of the later records and sort of what the new record's like... Uh, I wouldn't say it's as dramatic a, a change as you saw with with Green Day from what you just mentioned, um, American Idiot to to Dookie. I mean, that's that, that's pretty broad. I mean, I think I I think we know why this didn't in terms of this album in 1998 didn't hit because there was no way that a punk band from Australia was going to hit on big mainstream unless it was some sort of a weird novelty that they broke through. 
but you know yeah. that was the absolute that's that's your you know new metal you know this probably i think that's like the second uh limp biscuit album you're talking about creed selling seven million records around that time you're talking when about is the uh when is the no doubt the two big no doubt records when are those oh gosh hold on a second let me like 96 95 well you got to remember that i think it took them a little while to get the 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 tragic kingdom came out in 95 return yeah. of saturn took five years Oh my god! So they came out in two thousand, and they really? had yeah. What the hell did they do between those? They toured like crazy. They sold sixteen million copies of Treasure Kingdom worldwide, uh, eight million in the United States. So they toured like non. I think they toured for like four years on that record. I mean, it was ridiculous. Now here's the interesting thing: is that they put out Return of Saturn in two thousand, where I think they had gotten rid of the the, the, the horn section for that record. And they worked with Glenn Ballard, I think, on on some of the stuff, if I remember. He was the producer on that record. And that had a bunch of, you know, had an ex-girlfriend, Simple Kind of Life, um, were the two singles off of that. The next record came out the next year, Rocksteady. Mm. That was out in 2001. And that's the one that had um, uh, Hella Good and Hey Baby underneath it all. Um and they were a pretty different band by then, right? That's oh yeah, when they were just totally popping. Well, yeah, I think with Hey Baby is definitely and and Hella Good. Hella Good was was co-written by um, Pharrell Williams. Yeah, and I I think he was in the Neptunes at that point. My, I guess my my point was going to be that um, a song like Trapped, you know, I think is in a do, no doubt ish Tragic Kingdom era type of sound. I think you mentioned, I think you alluded to it, but if they would have had a song that had a, maybe more of a gimmicky kind of lyric or something distinct uh, lyrically, you know, mm-hmm. to really, cause it seemed like at the time that was like one of the factors in radio hits, you know what I mean? Something outrageous or strange or, I don't know, declarative, I mean, some sort of lyric that really stood out, you know, um, I think that maybe would have helped them. Um, right. I just feel like th- that era, for some reason, all the one-hit wonders and stuff seemed to have that. Um, and, and I don't hear anything necessarily on this record that would really fall in that. Uh, I think the lyrics are great, uh, but I just don't think there's anything on here where you're like, can 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 grab onto it in that way. At least in America, that that's what was going on. 
Right. And and like I mentioned earlier, the first Limp Bizkit album came out in 97, the second one in 99, and the third in 2000. And between those three records, you have 17 million sales in the United States. Yeah. So, I mean, that was prime. There was a punk band was going to it was going to be on the level of, you know, like I mentioned, Helicopters, uh, The Hives. They were going to be, you know, The Hives had their brief moment where it was like almost this band is going to break through, but they never Mm -hmm. really got through the way that maybe they were, you know, some people thought they were. You know, they weren't the Strokes. The Strokes broke through and made a more mainstream impact because mm-hmm. they got, you know, I think I remember seeing them perform on like MTV. Like there was, you know, back when MTV, you know, we say this all the time, back when MTV showed music and stuff, but they did like a half hour long, like live concert on MTV on mm. like TRL or something like it wasn't even TRL. It was like a special like performance. Like MTV had clearly like, decided that of this new sort of garage rock thing that was going on that the strokes were going to be yep um you know the band that you know it doesn't hurt that they were all whatever good looking guys at the time so but that was like like, uh... that was like 2001 when that happened and i think that that performance was even before that the album came out i want to say that they like did that like in preparation for the album coming out yep so it was like that EP that they put out before then in in um, like '99 or something like that. I feel like this is a theme, you know. There's a, we've reviewed a lot of Australian music. Um, none of it really broke through here, no. and there was a lot of Australian music in the '80s and the '70s that broke through. But for some reason, it's seeming like in the '90s, uh, very little did, which is unfortunate because I think. A lot of it that we heard, that we're hearing through this podcast and through our listeners sharing with us, is in a lot of ways superior to uh, much of what I think we were hearing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you think about what we've <clears throat> talked about in the terms of like Scream Feeder and UMI and Spider Bait, I mean, we love the Spider Bait record. It was totally mm-hmm. weird and all over the place, but it was a really great record. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in retrospect, all those records deserve to be heard in the United States, but they just didn't get yep. any attention. The only one that really broke through is the one that everybody knows about, which is Silverchair. Yeesh. So, yeah, and, then, and, the and then the Hives at the end of the year. I mean, not the Hives, the, um, uh, what was the band? Uh, the Vines. They're, oh, yeah. They got, they got through in like 99 or 2000. Yeah. It was like a blip. For like one song, because yeah. it kind of sounded like Nirvana. Yeah, they were supposed to be huge and Yep. That sort of came and went pretty fast. Yep. So Jay, let's give our uh let's give our overall ratings on the Living End self titled album from nineteen ninety eight. Were the album better EP decent single? I think I know what you're gonna say, but go ahead and say it. Were the album. Yes, I agree with you. Were the album and I, I this was a band that I think I heard the roll on single when it came out because you were, you know, excited about it. I don't yeah. think I ever checked out the record. I'm definitely going to go in and check out more of the albums from this band um, because uh, I missed them the, the first time around. I don't know. I don't know why. I was into all that stuff at the time, the helicopters and the hives and backyard babies and Lucifer and all those bands. So I don't know why. Maybe uh, it was the double bass, stand up bass. <laughs> I, I, you know rap- what that, 
I think that's a fair point. I mean, I think there's something to that that's a little bit, uh, I don't know. Um, it's not traditional, you know? So right. kind of throws you just from a visual standpoint. I'm like, well, it's, you know, what's this band about? I don't, is this a, like, what, what, it, it feel, it could feel a little gimmicky, you know? So right. I think for some people it could actually be maybe a, a turn off. Yeah. And I think that anything that got close to the, um, the nineties, uh, ska, uh, rockabilly, straight cats, Reverend mm-hmm. Horton Heat, you know, that kind of stuff, I was yeah. not interested in. Right. In 1999 yep. the, or 2000. In this band, I think at, at first blush, could very much get written off that way. If you saw yeah. the visual, maybe heard a little snippet here or there, even one track, you could kind of take away that, oh, that's what they're about. Right. I would say definitely go back um, and revisit State of Emergency. It came out in 2006. Okay. There's a song on there. I mean, I like that whole record, but there's a song on there called Long Live the Weekend. That's just like, oh my God, how is this not a huge American radio hit? <laughs> it's just one of those, you're just, you're just scratching your head trying to figure out like, how the hell, like, this is perfect. This is a perfect, like, high energy rock song with a great mm-hmm. hook and a, and a really good lyric. I'm going to go do that right now, Jay. Right, well, not right now, but right after this podcast, I'm going to go listen to that song. Uh, we need to thank Gavin Reed for once again bringing us a very interesting and cool selection for us to check out. Um, if you'd like to uh, suggest an album like Gavin did, you can head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com, go to the request to review page, and request your album for 2016. If you'd like to take the, uh, the long approach... You can join us at Patreon at two fifty a month, and you can suggest an album after twelve months of subscribing for just uh, two fifty, like I mentioned, and then also get all the uh, bonus materials that we post. And of course, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. Can I preach on this a little bit? Go right ahead. If you listen to the podcast and have not subscribed, please, please, please go to your iTunes or music app on your phone, search, dig me out in the store and hit subscribe. Even if you don't want to listen to it that way, that, that clicking that button and entering a review, even if it's just a quick love the show, thumbs up, anything just by doing those two things, helps us a ton get on the radar of uh the powers that be those are the two things that they look for so um it would be really really helpful if you, everybody who listens to this took a second and did that i second what jay just said because he understands <laughs> it much better than i do <laughs> i was just listening to the podcast where they're talking about that it's just that's what it comes down to like if you want to start getting more people you know, more audience and in, 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 into this, into your podcast. That's just the way you get people to pay attention. Yeah, um, and, and ultimately, we we want to be able to do cool things for the audience. You know, that's what we're. That's why we set up the Patreon so that we have a a, a, a way to you know, like we did earlier this year, giving away the the failure uh, double vinyl. Absolutely. Know? And then and we've got stuff. You know, we've got our three hundred three hundredth episode coming up. We'll be doing something for that. So, you know. 
yeah, I would love to be in a position where we've got sponsors coming in us, asking us to give stuff away so that we could be having a lot more uh, interaction and a lot yeah. more, you know, be able to give back a lot more than we currently can. So let's put it this way. We're angling for a Tesla. <laughs> if you guys could help us, we can get Tesla as a sponsor and then we can get a couple of Teslas. <clears throat> That'd be great. And then I'm going to ask if Jeff Keith will ride with me so that I could have a Tesla in a Tesla. I think he drives a Tesla. Frank Hannon drives uh, a Tesla. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, I think that that's one of those bands that uh, have to keep working to be oh, able they, to. Oh, they don't like machines, do they? That's right. Didn't they write no machines in, in the liner notes of one of the one of the albums? Oh, yeah, they used to do that. That's, that's funny. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. Okay. That, for... <laughs> that was in, now I'm remembering, that was in reference to their music, that no machines were made to make their music. So they didn't use a tape machine? No, it's all performance. There's no drum machines or synthesizers or anything. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Thought they, they, they set up an actual, like, old school, like a record, you know, like they, they cut it to acetate, you know, uh, via, uh, an old school uh, phonograph. That's how Don't they record it. You're being ridiculous. <laughs> okay. For Jay, I am the ridiculous Tim, and we're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. You can support the podcast by becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com backslash digmeout or... Requesting a review for the 2016 season at our request a review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. Right.